This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. In the cave with me tonight, I have Stuart Richards, and we welcome back Flick Ford. Welcome, Flick. Thank you. Hello. It's nice to be back. And I'm Sally Christie. Um, on tonight's show, we will be discussing the grim coupling of Lynn Ramsey and Joaquin Phoenix in You Were Never Really Here. We will also see what happens when you take a bunch of refugees, put them in a small town, and sign them up to the local footy team in the merger. But first up, let's take a trip back to 1993 with the miseducation of Cameron Post. So from writer-director Desiree Arkavan, I think I pronounced that right, Stewie? Yes, I think. Arkavan. Um, the miseducation of Cameron Post follows Cameron, who's played by Chloe Grace Mortez, as she is sent to a gay conversion therapy centre after getting caught with another girl in the backseat of a car on prom night. Run by the strict and severe Lydia Marsh and her brother Reverend Rick, him himself an example of how those in the program can be cured, the centre is built upon repenting for same-sex attraction. In the face of intolerance and denial, Cameron meets a a group of fellow sinners and together this group of teenagers form an unlikely family as they fight to survive. So Stewie, what did you think of the miseducation of Cameron Post? I really, really loved it. Uh, this, uh, yeah, hit really close to home to me. Um, I, um, yeah, so one of my favourite films is But I'm a Cheerleader mm. by yes. Jamie Babbitt. We've got the wonderful Mink Stoll in it. Yes, wonderful <laughs> Mink Stoll and RuPaul Charles out of drag. Uh, and that is one of my favourite films. Uh, it's also the first queer film I ever saw, so it had a really profound impact on my own identity growing up. Uh, and I guess these stories... Um, always resonate a lot with me for that reason. Um, and and this film, it's been compared to uh, that film quite a lot mm-hmm. um, in its comedy um, and its narrative. And I really, really loved it. I love Desiree Akavan. Um, I like a lot of her work. Uh, she also did the film Appropriate Behaviour. I have to admit, mm. I haven't seen any of her previous work. <sighs> Neither have I. And yeah. it, I, it's made me want to go back. Yeah, in, so, in yeah so Appropriate Behaviour uh, is her first feature. Yep. Uh, and that uh, is, she plays... Um, the lead character and she is uh, having like a, a life crisis in her mid-twenties, not sure what she's doing professionally. Um, she is bisexual and not out to her um, Iranian family and it's about her breaking up with her girlfriend and trying not to be a big hot mess. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, is this based on her actual... This is a doco? Uh, no, no it's, no, it's a comedy, yeah. um, so it's fictional. Um, but, you know, I think she's put herself, yeah. a lot of herself into the film. And then she also did uh, a web series with her uh, former partner, Ingrid uh, Jungman, uh, called The Slope, which is a really popular lesbian web series. Okay. Really dry humour. Um, it's all on YouTube if you want to check it out. Cool. Really short episodes. Uh-huh. Just about her bickering with her girlfriend, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then they broke up both professionally and personally. And then uh, Ingrid Jungman went on to do... Um, F to the seventh, uh, which is sort of continuing that character's journey in Manhattan, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, and then uh, Desiree Akavan went on to do uh, Appropriate Behaviour, and then she went on to do this um, uh, Miseducation of Camera Post, and she's just um, 
got uh, her pilot approved by uh, the UK's Channel 4 uh, for a comedy miniseries called The Bisexual, um, which is about the loves and tribulations of a bisexual. <laughs> so Fancy that. Pretty uh, self-explanatory. Uh, so she's been doing quite a lot. Um, and she also worked, um, wrote for the, uh, the series Girls, oh, right. uh, playing yeah, the character yeah, yeah. Chandra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she's done quite a lot. She's very charismatic. Really yes. charismatic. I heard, yeah. I heard an interview with her and I, I just... Yeah, she's she's so like her life is so fascinating. Yeah, that <laughs> I feel like I could just listen to her talking about it yeah. for hours, and I'd be like satisfied. Yeah, I was really lucky to meet her when I was at the Frameline Film Festival oh, wow. in San Francisco, and she's really personable and lovely. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just mm-hmm. like I really everything she does, I just kind of gobble it up really quickly. Mm. Um, but this film particularly, I loved it. I uh, found one thing that really struck me. Uh, personally was the friendship between the characters Uh, and I think that's actually quite a rare thing we see on screen where it's just young queer people being friends and kind of finding strength and um, solace in each other and not being a romantic or a dating thing. I really love that romance. I I really enjoyed that about this too because it it, it was a surprising thing for me that Mm. you do expect because we see in, I guess, so many other films, not just queer films, that something is instantly going to become sexual with this. It was just room to be teenagers. Also like the centrality of community and friendship Mm -hmm. in um, particularly for those kids who have been sent to this camp mm. to sort of fix them, and I'm doing air quotes on on air, which is <laughs> I can see you yeah. yeah, just to clarify. We can hear the <laughs> but just um, especially for that for those for those kids because yeah. they're especially vulnerable, mm. and the idea of yeah, I thought that was beautiful the way they did that, and it didn't turn into um, you know the characters that you thought might hook up. I'm glad that they didn't because yeah, I mean yeah. that does happen in but I'm a cheerleader. But I think mm-hmm. that is very much a uh, sort of a very camp romantic comedy where you expect that uh, love between Natasha Leone and Claire Duvall. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm really, really happy that this took a more dramatic approach to sort of that subject matter. Mm. What did you think of it, Flick? Well, I had the, a very bizarre screening experience where I was playing source code to my students and I was in the back of the theatre watching The Miseducation of Cameron Post. So I think they were confused as to why I was a bit teary-eyed um, and also laughing at some parts and trying not to. Um, I really enjoyed this. So I do not like Chloe uh, Grace Moretz at all. Um, I <laughs> I had to teach uh, Hugo in uh, first year, for first-year students and I just... I had to watch that film every year and I really disliked her performance in that. And this just won me over. I was just like, I thought she was perfect. I thought she was really funny. She was very restrained. It was a, an amazing performance by her. And just even, she she doesn't say that much and she's not... She doesn't. Yeah, but she's very charismatic in, in, in a way like you could... Um, yeah, like her... I don't know, the close-ups on her face and her expression and they didn't... It's kind of an interesting community because it would be very easy for them to make fun of this kind of like far-right fundamentalist Christian group Mm. and I think that they have a lot of... The filmmaker has approached it in a very sympathetic way that doesn't turn them into villains. It's just like if you have Mm. this cycle of fear around sexuality, Mm. then... um, yeah, I thought that the characters weren't one-dimensional. Well, there's the Reverend Rick character yeah. and who is an ex-gay, so I'm putting mm. that in air quotes again. He's an ex-gay <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's a fact that you can't change your sexuality. So I think there's a real 
sadness yeah. with his character, which I think is a, quite a smart choice by Akavan, where he could have easily have been this uh, this kind of crazy fundamentalist um, mm-hmm. homophobe, but there's a real sadness because as the film goes on, not to spoil it, but his character develops. Mm-hmm. And even the, I forget her um, her name, the... Um, Jane Fonda? Not Jane Fonda. Oh, yeah. Not Jane Fonda. The, um, the camp leader who was oh, Elizabeth Lydia. Bennett. Um, his sister. Yeah, his sister. Oh, Lydia. Sorry, that's a bit of a spoiler. Maybe Lydia Marsh. Lydia Marsh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I said, I said it in my opening Oh, okay, skills. good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, even her, she's also sort of a, quite a, fu- a complex character. Yeah. There's a few yeah. looks that she gives where she's almost questioning her actions as well. Yeah, and, yeah I, I went into this thinking that, okay, gay conversion therapy, that those people that are running this camp are going to be really demonised. And mm. it was surprising to see that, they were made sympathetic at some points mm. and it wasn't of, – of course it's shocking and this stuff does go on, but they weren't made out to be villains, that they were still human and they did have tender moments, I thought was really clever filmmaking for sure. Mm. I One thing that gave me pause and – so I did, I love the film and I had, I had a conversation with uh, Lisa Rose, who's the artistic director of Queer Screen in Sydney and they put on the Mardi Gras Film Festival. And I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she was not sort of um, won over by the film because she she's read the book and I hadn't read the book. It's based on a novella? Is yeah, that yeah, yeah. It is, so it's based on, uh, yeah. So it no, is, not, it's, um, I think this picks up, Midway through the book, yeah. Oh, right. So they there are, yeah, okay. Completely cut the first half of the book out of the film, which I think which is, is interesting. Yeah. Interesting choice because there is, I think, backstory and depth to the central character's construction of shame and how the shame around her sexuality develops, and there's a, sort of there is a lot of backstory to her previous mm. um, uh, relationship and. That is kind of gets cut out of yeah, the film. Yeah, I know that where the she novel, became a bit of a nothing character. Yeah, because that, that's what I was thinking. Like, I she didn't win me over in this film. Oh, that was really? the one mm. thing that, and it's a shame because it is such a good film that let me down. Is I felt absolutely no connection with Cameron Post. I, yeah, her complexities, yeah. anything like that, didn't come through to me. I found her to be completely flat. Yeah. Um, Having said that, I did enjoy the film, but she just didn't come through. And I know the the book is about a 500-page book and the part that they've focused on is the 200 pages at the end of the book. So we don't have that character development where we do sort of see her previous relationships or even her relationships with her family as to what's Mm. led her to where she is. It might be, though, like I don't know if I've properly expressed the deep hatred that I had for her as an actor. <laughs> so I think that that's more what I'm shocked by. <laughs> just like I really despised her as an actor. I was like, how has she even got any roles? And so that was more what wowed me. But having said that, um, something that I thought was interesting is I know that the filmmaker, sorry, I've forgotten her name. That's terrible. Ak- Desiree, Desiree Akavan. Yep. So she had come out and said that she hadn't, they hadn't even bothered to approach uh, Grace Moritz about this because they were like, oh, she's not really fitted for the role. And mm-hmm. she was actually expecting someone a bit more like Butch for the role um, and yeah I think that they kind of were playing with that idea of her being a bit prissy before like in a lot of her roles like sort of yeah. this princess role so I kind of liked the fact that I saw something different from her mm-hmm. so it was kind of it's less about like 
the because the character actually is quite unsympathetic in a lot of ways, and if anything, the the uh, the other cast members and the other characters are much more interesting. Yeah, I, I found that. Yeah, I didn't mm. mind it. I kind of was happy that she's she's sort of a, almost like this witness that we follow through, and I liked the fact that she's she's not she does, almost doesn't have a very strong position on it. I don't know. What yeah. It, yeah what it, sorry. Yeah. No. I, no. I, I agree that she kind of we we don't know how she's feeling a lot of the time on you know where she is, what's going on, and yeah, she has a really ambiguous face. Yeah. In terms does. of um, great eyebrows. Her, yeah, great, <laughs> great eyebrows. eyebrows. <laughs> I'm excited to see her in Suspiria. So apparently, the apparently, apparently the um. The costume designer was like, so people in the 90s had thinner eyebrows, they're oh. too big, we need to come... And she was like, no. They do, because I thought that when I was watching it. I've seen, looking back at photos of myself in the 90s, my eyebrows are non-existent. <laughs> mine, mine too. <laughs> they're not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I think it's, it, this is also a really important film, I think. Uh, so we have... Um, so these camps are still running today. Yeah, I was wow. looking into that today. Like, how are these gay conversion camps still running? What is the, you know, sort of popularity of them? What states are they running in? What countries are they running we have in? Them it's in a, We have them in Australia. Are you they, serious? Yeah, I didn't They know exist that. in horrible. Australia. Um, and the the Australian Labor Party have now uh, stated that they will fight to outlaw this practice, gay conversion, mm. and then the Australian Christian lobby as well are up in arms about the push to outlaw gay conversion therapy. So this debate is still alive wow. and kicking, and we still have this in Australia. It's the big practice in America. And growy, uh, growy, Chloe Grace Mortez has just announced today that she is going to have a sort of a docu series exploring this in America as well. So this, personally, this has become um, sort of a big issue for her. So Mm. Yeah, I found it so, like, it sounds strange to say, but I found it really affecting watching it surrounded by students who wouldn't be much older than the characters on Mm. film. And I just thought there was, I just felt, I I feel I was really affected by this film and I think being surrounded by people who would be so vulnerable and it's yeah. just, it's it's mm. quite a, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, the film <laughs> is upsetting. set in 93, so mm. I'm, I'm really enjoying all these 90s nostalgia <laughs> films that are happening now that are just a new thing as well, which this most definitely is. The Miseducation of Cameron Post is screening now in all good independent cinemas. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. The second film that we are looking at this evening is You Were Never Really Here. So it is based on Jonathan Ames' novel. The New York set film centres on Lona Joe, who is played by Joaquin Phoenix. He seems to be carrying the weight of the world in every single muscle. It's during its intense opening sequence, it establishes Joe as a troubled man with a grim personal backstory and an even grimmer present occupation. However, when a teenage girl goes missing, corrupt power and vengeance unleash a storm of violence that may lead to his awakening. Uh, Flick, what did you think of You Were Never Really Here? Well, I've been excited about this film since the start of the year. Me too, me too. <laughs> I I refer to them as like my holy trinity. I adore uh, Lynn Ramsey, uh, Johnny Greenwood, who, who did the score, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. So I... Um, I already kind of knew that I was probably going to love this film. Uh, I, yeah, I, 
I just um, was very excited to see the way in which Ramsay would be working with Joaquin. Apparently when she was thinking about the character, he was the first actor to come into her mind. And so um, Joe has been created with Joaquin in mind. Um, I, I'm really uh, sorry to cut you no, off. No, I heard her saying, I thought this was really sweet, her saying that when she was writing the script that she put a picture of Joaquin as her wallpaper on her computer. She, she totally <laughs> she, already would have had and it. she as sort it. of willed it in. <laughs> no, I reckon it was always, always her wallpaper. <laughs> I mean, it's all there. of ours, right? Yeah, let's exactly. let's not lie. Um, yeah, no, I. So I, yeah, I mean, Ramsey. So I saw Morvan Keller, and uh, Morvan Keller is a film of. Um, so it's an earlier film by Lynn Ramsey. Uh, that I feel like that was life changing for me, and um, I just I just find her an amazing director, and um, especially in like a male dominated field, she, I just think that her approach to violence and vulnerability and the way in which she like engages with both of those forces in this film is so powerful. Mm. And I uh, Johnny Greenwood, I mean, I, you can't <laughs> you just cannot say enough about this man. He his soundscape is. You could just listen to that on its own. I remember, um, so I watched this film for Myth and I remember sitting there, I watched it by myself um, in, you know, massive Regent Theatre, so like heaps of other people, but But (laughs) by myself. Yeah, Yeah. I went by myself. Um, And just being so swept up in like feeling like I was watching the film on two different layers, like the soundscape and then the the screenscape, if you could kind of divide it in that way, like the visuals and then what was happening with with Greenwood's score. And it's just... um, such an amazing experience. I, I encourage everyone to see it on a big screen. I think it's really, really important that you have a proper sound setup for this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it just, it, I loved it. It's probably one of my favourite films of this year. Um, and also, just as a, a side note for Joaquin Phoenix and, and talking before about the way in which his, uh, in your intro, you were saying about him, it being um, expressed in every muscle, his, his body acting, if that's a phrase, is so fascinating in this film. There's something about the way in which the trauma is really scripted onto his body and in the movements, in the way in which he talks with his like really gravelly voice um, that still has this tenderness. Um, I'm rambling a little bit, but there's this amazing scene in which um, he's talking to this cat, uh, this little kitten, and I, I just like melts my heart. I could like watch that <laughs> scene on repeat like a million times. Anyway, I love this film. It's amazing. Go see it. I, I think it's, it's worth rambling about. I think we need to talk about Kevin, which was Lynn Ramsey's mm. previous film. I, I would go as far as saying that's one of the best films of the last 20 years. Like, yeah. she is amazing. That film gave me nightmares and not many <laughs> films give me nightmares. <laughs> so That's hard to do. Yeah, I know. Um, Scary if you have children, I imagine. Maybe just go, I never watch children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was super excited about this as well and... I, I was surprised to find out that it was based on a Jonathan Ames novel because I just, I've consumed so much of the show that he has, the HBO show Bored to Death, where Jason Schwartzman plays the Jonathan Ames character, where he kind of seems so goofy and so, you know, sort of slapstick and funny. And this is a really, really dark movie, mm. um, but also really beautiful. One thing that I totally loved about this is it reminded me of um, a period of cinema that is probably my favourite period in cinema is the sort of, I guess, the 1970s, in particular 1970s New York cinema, uh, where we have things like, you know, Taxi Driver and Maniac and all that kind of stuff where New York looks dirty and it's not so much that place anymore, but this film kind of gave, you know, 
reinvigorated that kind of sense of, I guess, a gritty, dirty mm. sort of New York, mm. for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of nods to Taxi Driver in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's not too big a call to say that Joaquin Phoenix is one of the best actors working today. Yeah, he's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, I mean, you, you were saying that the film really captures both violence and vulnerability so well. Mm-hmm. And I love in this film that I think it is Lynn Ramsey and Joaquin Phoenix both kind of working together so well here. Is and that, I think that yeah. they did work together really, really yeah. closely on this film. Yeah, they were on the same wavelength yep. uh, where it goes from really explicit visceral violence that you feel in your gut and then going so quickly to vulnerability. Mm. I think it, it's it's quite incredible. Mm. And there are just – and his body – I mean, you can see, I mean, he's ripped. Like, he's built for this but film. It, but it's like, it, I love the fact that it's not just it's ripped not in. It's, it's not sexy ripped. It's not sexy ripped at all. It's, it's like this battle hulking, scar ripped. Yeah, yeah. It's this bulky, like, yeah. mass. Yeah. But you can see, like, the muscles sort of contract on his mm. back because there's a lot of camera shots that just follow him closely behind and you see his back kind of move. So he's acting in every muscle of his mm. body, which is amazing. Yeah, he's uh, and I loved that. Um, I love the fact that the way in which the camera really captured, like all the scars and things like that. There's talk about um, his previous uh, war service, and I just think that that sense of trauma that um, is really like it's obviously there playing in the background. And I just, I just think it's amazing how his body and also so he's he's also caring for his um, his aging mother in the film, and just that idea of the body failing you yeah. or the body being invaded or taken away from you. And and I thought that that really fed in really well to this narrative of child abuse and and um, human trafficking and and that sort of thing. It was the I think maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago we looked at um, Don't Leave a Trace. Yes, that was the name of it. Wasn't leave, it? No leave no trace. trace. Leave <laughs> also, <laughs> don't leave no trace. Leave no trace. <laughs> leave no trace. Um, and we looked at the how that film sort of explored PTSD, and I mm. remember I was saying I didn't particularly like oh, it. Didn't you? No. That was one of my other faves. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, I didn't find it very authentic. I didn't find it. I just. But this film with its exploration of PTSD, I, I thought was you know, really beautifully executed. Mm. Um, it felt a lot more believable to me than Leave No Trace. <laughs> I mean, the, edit, the editing is so confronting. Mm. It just mm. it jumps to these sort of snippets of his memories so well. Yeah. And we hear no sort of, like, exposition doesn't really happen and we don't know what happens after him. But I do want to say one thing that could be controversial – I didn't like Johnny Greenwood's score. Whoa. I, <laughs> I'm unfriending you now, Stuart. Like, I, I love his work. I mean, in There Will Be Blood, I think, is incredible. And uh, Phantom Fan- Thread yeah, Phantom is Thread. exquisite. But this, I, I think there's so much going on in the editing and in the images. And I just felt that it became a bit hammy at times. Like I was, I was also in the Regent <laughs> Theatre. Did we go to the same <laughs> screen? Not the same the screen. Yeah, no. yeah, you could have waved to me. <laughs> and I just it, just, it got to the point where it was like, I get it. It's intense. I get it. Like I know what you're doing. And for me that it just, it just didn't ring true. And that kind of took it away from me a little bit. Like I just, where his work I mean, Johnny Green, particularly in There Will Be Blood, the sounds really 
complement and extend the imagery where it really takes it in new directions and unexpected directions where I feel that you could watch this film with a different score or no score and I think you'd still get Mm. that. So I don't, for me, the score didn't really add anything. I actually, so I obviously disagree. (laughs) But I, I think though that what I loved about the score was the fact that I think it's prioritised over the visual and that's what I love mm, about her yeah. her approach because I think that she's trying not to, you know, for what is actually this basically working Phoenix, running around with a hammer, killing pedophiles, like that's what happens. <laughs> um, it's not that, I mean, it's violent, but it's not as violent as it could be. It's, and I think that the, mm. the, the violence is in the score. The yeah. inter- I thought the way that she approached the violence was super interesting mm. because it's always at a distance. Mm. It's horrific and grim, but... It's really separate. Like, mm. it's through either CCTV or, you know. I love that. You know, I, I love that. Very, very yeah. clever. stalking about on CCTV. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. So, yeah. You Were Never Really Here is screening now at all good independent cinemas. Um, yeah, go and see it at a cinema. It's brilliant. Big screen. Yes. Big screen. Big screen. Surround yeah. sound. Yeah. Do it. Three triple R. The next film and the final film that we'll be discussing this evening is a local film called The Merger. So in the township of Bodgy Creek, it's seen better days. The population is dwindling and jobs are scarce. The next victim of the town's decline is the cash-strapped Aussie Rules footy club. So barely able to find a team, the club is reeling from news that their club rooms have been condemned due to asbestos contamination. A left-field solution to their woes comes from former footballer Troy Carrington. Having fallen out with the community, Troy is living like a hermit um, on the ex- on the fringe of the town. So, however, he has coaxed into coaching after striking up an unlikely friendship with young Neil. Teaming up with Neil's mum, Angie, who's running a nearby refugee support centre, they conspire to recruit the new arrivals to save the team. However, the plan is not so well received by some of the locals, including Neil's granddad and club president, Bull Barlow. Stewie, what did you think of the merger? <laughs> I I found myself laughing quite a lot. Yeah. During the film, uh, I mean, the John Howard playing Bull Barlow, I think is really funny. He has some great one lines, and there's the character who is my favourite, who is wearing Crocs on the footy field, <laughs> uh, Porterhouse. Well done. Well done. Uh, I like how his excuse for wearing it is like, I've got to work later. Why would you be wearing this? (laughs) So I found myself laughing a lot. And then there's the the radio DJ in the background who keeps on appearing throughout the film, giving all of the community announcements, is bang on with the humour. So I found myself laughing a lot. It's really charming. Um, I think my parents would really love this. That sounds a bit shady, but... No, I was yeah, thinking the same. I, like, this is the type of thing that they would love. Uh, it's it's heartwarming. It's accessible. Uh, one, I, I guess, thing that kind of took it away from me was when, um, obviously, it's an Aussie comedy with a social message about inclusion and getting along and community. When there's that transition between the laughs and then the serious moments where we get these asylum seekers revealing their traumatic backstories, it's really jarring where it's like laugh, laugh, laugh. All right, now serious moment. We all have to be serious. And there's no jokes in terms of its social mission for me where 
it goes from being really serious to really funny and it's almost like two different films are kind of happening um yeah that way but but i did find myself laughing quite a lot i think that was okay about it like this is no doubt a message movie and mm. it is 100 percent not trying to mask that in any way um i did find it funny and i did find that kind of switching to when it was being quite serious that it was quite jarring but i think that's okay um I was having a conversation not too long ago with my mother-in-law about the ABC show, um, You Can't Ask That, and I was saying about, oh, you know, this show is so good, and she said to me, yeah, it is so good, but are the right people watching it? Mm. And I went, oh, okay, yeah, fair point. And this is that kind of thing where it is definitely a message thing, but the right people might watch it, Mm. you know? Like there's definitely room for it's based around AFL, and there's that kind of whole thing where we shouldn't mix politics with AFL, but we should because this is where we, you know, a lot of Australians look to is AFL. They look there for, you know, leaders and things like that. So having a movie about AFL and refugees and inclusion I mm. think is really clever. Mm. You I know? Made, yeah, I made a mental note. I mean, I suppose the hot tip would be if you have any, maybe, I don't know, uncles, aunties, grandparents that you want to maybe convince or um, get involved with um, what's happening at the moment um, with the current policy to do with refugees and detention centres, this could be a good, like, stocking filler I think <laughs> to have too. that discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's a niche market yeah. for that, but I, I was thinking, yeah, I, I agree that... Um, I think we've all got an uncle or an auntie yeah, that could do sure with watching one. the merchant. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to... Just a few for Christmas. Yeah, uh, I think it will. Yeah. I think that's where it will get a, yeah. a, a, a sort of a boost. And um, I was thinking also, like, yeah, when we're talking about um, keeping politics out of football, it's just like, well, if we're aligning our national identity to AFL, yeah. then it's it's pretty central. And I mean, yeah, and, and especially when you're thinking about the current situation that we're in, uh, I think it's more than important to get people who are maybe not involved or not, don't know about what's happening mm. on places like Nauru to mm. actually start talking about it and having those difficult conversations. Yeah, and I we, think that too. Yeah. And I think this film is a really great platform for that. We do have a character, um, the the Saeed character, who is back sure he was at Nauru with his brother. Mm-hmm. And there are scenes where he details some of the the horrific incidences that his character goes through um, on Nauru. So, yeah, I, I think that is really, really important. I just think the transitions in the, in the dialogue between mm-hmm. the humour to the more serious discussions, I thought was a little jarring. Yeah, I mean, I always hate saying anything negative about Australian cinema, but I, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of this film. But, uh, you know, with what we've said before as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought that... And I, I thought the sort of the central romance at in the film was a little hammy. Oh, I like, oh, could pick sure. that. I picked that from, like, see, the soon as they <laughs> came on. I was like, oh, I know. You know what <laughs> is interesting, though, is the guy that plays Troy, Dan uh, Callingman. Damien. Uh, D- Damien? Damien Callanan. Oh, I've got Dan written down. I've got, sorry, Damien <laughs> in my notes. But, yeah, this, so this was, you know, he had written this as a one-man stage show that oh, wow. he'd been performing for oh, since really? 2009. Oh, good yeah. on Wow. And um, I think at the Adelaide Fringe was where he kind of kicked this off and he played pretty much all of the characters in it and then, you know, got on board and made this, uh, you know, live-action film. Oh, wow, that's great. Oh, yeah, it is. It's amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So this was his one-man sort of stage show and then, yeah, he met up with um, 
with Mark Grantell, who made a cricket film as well, Backyard oh, yeah. Ashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's really into the sports films. <laughs> he loves, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I wonder what he'll do next. But, yeah, so it, really amazing that this has been adapted from a one. I can't even imagine this as a one-man stage no, show. When you say, I'm still yeah. in shock. It's kind of interesting, though, because um, it's quite polished in a lot of ways. Like, mm. it feels very... Um, oh, it's beautifully yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's actually gorgeous, well, yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean that town, the way the town is shot, all of the the, the shop fronts and the front yards, and yeah, Brigitte the alpaca. Yeah. <laughs> I loved the alpacas. In <laughs> they it. were great, just yeah. like spitting on people in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it was. It, yeah, those alpacas were very. That were one of my favourite parts of the movie. I think. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, um, you were saying before you had a lot of lols. Now I thought the script was actually really. It was very good. Oh, it's uh, a very well yeah. written script. Yeah. yeah, and that makes sense that it was obviously if it was a one man play, there's been lots of like work done on on the dialogue. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see some kind of snippets of him performing this on his own because I just can't imagine it. Neither can I. I wonder Definitely how it's been it. changed for film if there was the sort of the character of Angie, the love interest. How do you work that in a one-man play? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> and the the kid, uh, Neil Barlow, uh, played by Rafferty Greason, he was great. He was great. He won me over because in the first sort of ten minutes I was like, oh, my God, this kid's really giving me the shits. Yeah. Yeah. But then... Um, yeah, he really won me over. He was very sweet. Yeah, he has some of these like very serious looks he gives mm. uh, just slightly off camera, which are really, really great. Yeah. So the merger is also playing now at all good local independent cinemas. So you have been listening to Plato's Cave on 3RRR with Stuart Richards, Flick Ford and myself, Sally Christie. On tonight's show, we discuss the miseducation of Cameron Post, You Were Never Really Here and The Merger, which are all screening now at good independent cinemas. You can subscribe to Plato's Cave podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. A huge thank you to Carl Chapman for panelling the show tonight and to Faith Everard who edits our podcast. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.